Let's open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And as you open your Bibles, just want to ask you this question. What, what you thinking about this? What is faith? What is faith? Faith in, in Jesus. You maybe have heard that before. I'm sure you have. If you've been around church for more than a couple of weeks, I'm sure you've heard that phrase, faith in Christ. But what does it mean? Maybe you would say trust or, or believe. You know, and I, I don't hate those answers, but I think we can do better. One of my really good youth pastor friends used to say that faith in Christ, he, he would re- rephrase it this way, it's joyfully entrusting all that you are to the kingship of Jesus. I like that. In other words, I think faith, it's, it's about your whole life being submitted to Christ. That's what we mean when we say faith, real faith then. It's, it's not faith in information, it's not trusting in just your knowledge about the Bible or knowledge about God, but it's faith in a person. It's faith in Jesus. Why? Why would we do that? Why would we put our faith in Christ? The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 14, this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, it's Jesus, be lifted up, talking about his cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Two verses later, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. We joyfully entrust our lives to Christ because he's offering eternal life. That's really what I want to talk about this morning. That's our big idea. That's the one point. There's not really going to be an outline. I want you to think about eternity. Eternal life. I mean, one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible Listen, you guys, it's a promise not of happiness. It's a promise not of fame or wealth, but it's a promise of eternal life. And I wonder what you think about when you hear that phrase, eternal. I mean, I mean you might not have the, the best thoughts about it. I don't know about you, but I used to... Think of eternal life only in terms of length, and quantity, not, you know, a, a very big number, not like a hundred, but whatever, a trillion or whatever. I used to think of eternal life like that as just never dying, but it's, it's so much more than just the, the quantity. In that word eternity, there's also an element of quality. That's how we need to think about it. This quality of life, it's, boy, it's something that we can barely begin to understand just how good it really is. Yes, it's life that goes on and on and on, but it's life that is good. It's life that's experienced 
in the presence of God, not just more of the life that we have now. How, how awful would that be? How torturous uh, an eternal life, just day after day, moment after moment of the same thing in a place where, where sin still exists. I don't blame you for not wanting to be excited about eternal life like that, but, but the eternal life that's promised in the gospel, it's unending real life, unending life that we're supposed to have, life that was given to man in the garden before the fall, life that was purposed to be lived with our Creator. Eternal life that Jesus is promising, it's so much better. And it's so much better than just more of this life because it's life that never ends, but it's unending life with God. And to help you better understand what that moment might be like, let me just quote one of the smartest people I know, our pastor. He says this about eternal life. Imagine the happiest most wonderful, most exciting, most thrilling, most fulfilling, satisfying, glorious, overwhelmingly happy moment you've ever had. I mean, he hit the, 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 the thesaurus really hard on that. I mean, there's so many words, but can you think of that moment? Happy, wonderful, exciting, thrilling, on and on he goes. Now he says, imagine that moment just like that, but never ending. It's not a sequence of days or experiences. It's, it's a moment of sheer bliss that never stops. There's no sense of time passing by. There's no present. There's no future. It's just a moment of sheer, exhilarating perfection. I don't know if we can even think of a moment that we've experienced that might help us understand that. I'm just, it's, they're lame, but I'm just trying to think of some. It's not just like hitting a home run, but it's, it's like a grand slam for the golf lover, like what it would be like to hit a hole in one. I, I don't know what that is. I, I'd like to, is anybody just want to brag? You could say it if you've hit a hole in one. I have questions for you afterwards. I don't know, a, a moment where you got a, a puppy, I don't know, a pony, I don't know, just but something that you were like, this is it, <laughs> this is awesome. It's that moment, but so much better. Again, not about time, but a moment of complete joy and love and happiness. Because we get to live engaged fully with God and it's life in the presence of our God and the angels and we get to live this real life in the new heaven and on the new earth and it will last forever. Eternal life is life with God that never ends and it's perfect and it's awesome and you get to worship God who made you and enjoy the, the wonder and the amazement of his creation. And it's all without the worst parts of our life, which is sin. The thing about eternal life is that everybody wants it. 
And I know that's true because the Bible says it's true. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says there that God did something very unique inside each and every one of us. It says that inside your heart and mind, God placed eternity, a desire for eternity. That's what that means. It means we're aware of it. On some level, we know there's more to this life and we want it. We long for it and we anticipate it. So eternity, it's it's in our hearts and it's coming and it's certain and it's unavoidable. We know we're going to live forever and ever somewhere. And that's exactly what the Bible tell, tells us. All of us will live forever. It'll just be in one of two places, a place where there's either eternal life or eternal death. If we don't have eternal life, I know you're in high school, by process of elimination, we know the other. We have eternal death. That's the only remaining option. And it's very similar in some ways to eternal life. It's a quantity thing. It goes on and on. And there's a quality element to it too. And it's just that it's really bad. It's a quality of, of never ending moment, but without God, it doesn't have that awesomeness to it. It's stepping into an eternal moment without God. And it never, ever ends. It never comes to a stop. And you, For that, you have to try to imagine that worst moment that you've experienced in this life. It's it's that feeling, but it's no relief. It's it's an eternity of, of awful. There isn't an ounce of joy to be found. Zero happiness, and it's a, a permanent feeling that something's missing or that there's something lost. And it's panic and it's anguish and it's suffering and it's a nightmare that you won't be able to escape. This is why we have to know how to have eternal life. Sin has already earned you eternal death. That's what Romans 6 says. The wages of sin is death. We need to know then what gets me eternal life. How do I have that? I want it. We have to have it. It's the most important question. I want to live forever, but in God's presence, I want to end up in heaven. I remember being in high school, and we had this really hard teacher, and we're all kind of dreading this test and prepping for it for weeks, and We knew it was hard. We knew it was going to be very difficult. And on the day of the test, we had a substitute teacher. And one of the girls in that class asked a question that was on the test. And I don't know what got into this substitute, but he did not care. And he just walked through the answers to all of this test. And I remember thinking... To this, like about this girl, that's the best question I've ever heard. I, I'm so glad you asked that question. That's not the best question this is. And it's here in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, as he, referring to Jesus, 
was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the right question. That's the best question. This man's story, it's not isolated to Mark. You can find it in Matthew and Luke and and those three accounts of this same story. They each give us a little bit more information, a little bit different information. And with them, we, we learn a lot about him. Matthew calls him a young man. Luke refers to him as a ruler. Probably means this guy was a, a ruler in like the local synagogue. So he's influential. He's a a community leader. People know this guy like a church leader. And all three accounts, though, they, they point to this reality that he has a lot of possessions, that he's rich. This is the section that all of you or a lot of you are familiar with. It's known as the rich young ruler, a man who has all the desirable traits that the world says, yep, get that. He's has youth and power. He has money. He probably has abs. I, I don't know. Young, powerful, highly religious, and he's respected in the community. And, and some refer to this guy as just a guy who's on top of the food chain, so to speak. He has everything, everything that you could ever want in life. He had it. Everything that the people of his day would say, man, I would just give a, anything to have a, a day in his shoes. He has it all except eternal life, and he knew it. He's aware of eternity. He can feel it in his heart. There's, there's more to this life. There's more to come. He doesn't want to exist forever in the wrong place. He wants to be certain that he ends up in heaven. He wants life. So he's aware that he's missing something. And so he asks the best person possible. He asks Jesus, what do I have to do to have this? How do I get eternal life? How can I know that I have it? And Jesus responds, look at verse 18. He says to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Jesus' answer, his response is something other than what we expect. He begins with this, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. And then he starts talking about the commandments. Matthew's version actually just says that, that Jesus said, great, keep the commandments. 
Doesn't really sound like the gospel, does it? It's not the Jesus that we're sort of used to. In fact, if one of you asked me how to get saved, I don't think the commandments would even enter my mind. So what is Jesus doing here? This, with this man who's such a prime candidate for, for salvation, he's so eager, he, he wants to get saved, he's anxious about his eternal state, and we know that he's anxious because he's running. That's something that a guy in his culture would never do. It would be like me skipping everywhere I went. You'd be like, what's wrong with Pastor Jay? He's really lost it. Junior high finally broke him. That'd probably be true, but that's what's happening here. He is, he is so anxious to get the answer to this question that he's running, and Jesus is about to leave, and so this man has to seize this moment, and he runs, and he kneels before Jesus. Something else that shows he's on the right track here, he's showing respect to Christ, and he honors Jesus by calling him good teacher. He recognized that that Jesus is one who speaks with God's authority and basically just him saying, Jesus, tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll do anything, please. It's a genuine question and it's honest. Jesus had been given so many trick questions and traps and and setups, and he was ambushed all the time. But this question's not like that. This question is, it's real, and the rich young ruler is serious. And it's such a perfect moment for the gospel. Why didn't Jesus just say, believe in me and have faith in me, repent of your sin, and be saved, but that's not what he says. He hammers the commandments. He said, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. That's Exodus 20. It's almost perfectly in order. Number six through nine, and then back to five. He just slips this one in here about not defrauding. That's not from Exodus 20. I believe it's something particular for this man. But regardless, here's what these are about. The point is that Jesus begins here. If you want eternal life, let's talk first about your relationship with others. That's going to help you see your sinfulness. Jesus wants this man to acknowledge just how sinful he is to face it, to see it. The commandments are meant to rock you, to make you realize just how sinful you are. It's, it's meant to be overwhelming and to, to devastate you because you can't do it. You can't keep these commandments perfectly. You could lie about your relationship with God. That's the first half of the commandments, one through four. You could hide that. Me and God, we're good. But Jesus starts here because you can't hide your sin when it comes to your relationship with everybody else around you. And Jesus has really already been teaching on all these commandments. These commandments are about the heart. Don't murder, you know, 
He already explained that one. Even if you haven't killed somebody, which, you know, good job. But if you, if you have hate in your heart, that's a problem. You're a sinner. And he goes through purity and thievery and deceitfulness. And then he ends on honoring your mom and dad. It's a tough list. It's a list by the time you make your way to the end, you're just like, ah, yeah, total fail. And I, I love how he even ends with, with, the, with parents. He puts it at the very end. Maybe you could kind of fake your way through your relationships with all these other people, but one area that everybody knows they've been so, so f- just have failed so miserably in is your relationship with your parents. You've dishonored them so much. You've disobeyed them so much. No one's done it perfectly. And and, and that one alone should drive this young man to respond with, yes, Jesus, I'm a failure. I'm sinful. All of these. But he doesn't. That's not what he says. He just replies with, "Uh uh-huh. Commandments, yep, got it. Green check emoji, like done. What's next? And here he goes. I think this man's response to be genuine, I don't think he's dismissing what Jesus says. It's just that he's really confused. He's so deluded himself, lowering God's perfect standard and holy standard so far down that he actually thinks he meets it. He can say, I've kept the commandments. He doesn't see his sin for what it is. He doesn't realize that his, his sin is only earning him eternal death. He isn't terrified by the law. He doesn't feel the weight of God's judgment on him as a sinner. He doesn't realize what even one sin does to his eternal destiny. One sin disqualifies you from fulfilling the law. That's what God revealed. One sin. You are guilty of the entire thing. James chapter 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. This rich young ruler is a a sinful man blind to his sin. Pastor John calls him a classic Pharisee who thinks and believes and trusts that he can have eternal life by his goodness. Unwilling to admit the reality that he's a sinner in need of forgiveness. crazy because he's talking to the one person who can actually help. Why faith in Christ? Well, at this moment, Jesus right now is on his way to the cross. As he interacts with this man, he's on the way to to, to pay the price for sin, for all those who will trust in him, for this man's sin, if only he would put his faith in Christ. 
eternal life with God, living with God the way he intended joy and happiness and love, and it's perfect, but it's only possible because of how amazing Jesus is and what he did to purchase that eternal life for you. This man wanted eternal life so bad and Jesus needed to help him see his sin. And if you want eternal life, that's the same reality for you. You must first confess your sinfulness. You need to see it. I've not kept God's standard desperately in need of forgiveness. This rich young ruler has asked the right question Jesus gave him an answer that didn't really seem to get to his question. Yeah, yeah, I've kept all those. What else? So Jesus gives another unexpected answer. He says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. and You'll have treasure in heaven. Jesus, what are you doing? This doesn't sound like the gospel either. Let me help you understand precisely what this man needs to hear. It's the perfect and it's the complete answer to his question. You don't understand your sinfulness. Great. You don't get the perfect standard of God. You don't see how far short you fall of where you need to be. I'll show it to you in your relationship with others. Jesus said, friends and neighbors and girls and family and parents, the rich young ruler could not see that. So now Jesus will challenge this man about his relationship with God. Let's go back to the beginning of the commandments, although he just asked him this one question. He says, give all you have to the poor. Sounds strange to hear Jesus say that, but he's just pointing out what's captivated this man's heart. He's highlighting what this dude cares about the most. His stuff, because he's got a ton of it. You love your money, and you love your stuff, and Jesus is saying you, you love it way more than God. In other words, Jesus is really just asking, would you be willing to give it all up to get what you seek? Would you be willing to have me be the most important, the number one in your life? By the way, let me just make sure you know this. This has nothing to do with giving away all your stuff. Jesus never lays out that requirement for following him. This isn't about what you need to do to be saved, giving away your stuff to be saved, to have eternal life. You have to be willing to submit to Christ. You have to be willing to say, Jesus, you before me. Your way before mine. That's faith in Jesus. That's trusting Jesus with your whole life. Have to be willing to deny yourself. Jesus already said it in Mark chapter 8. Verse 34, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? In the parables, Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like this, like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, and then he hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys up that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had, and he bought it. What's the point? There's nothing more valuable, nothing more precious than eternal life. That's what Jesus is is teaching. Nothing better than being in the kingdom of God. Nothing that could even compare or compete with living with Jesus as king. We should be willing to do whatever God tells us to do. Eternal life is the most important thing we could have, and you should be willing to exchange anything and everything for it. Willing to submit your life to Christ because of what he's offering. You see this in the gospel. It's precisely what the gospel proclaims. If you have faith, if you believe in Christ and who he is, then you recognize that he came to save sinners. And you can admit your sin and you can deny yourself and you submit to Christ as Lord. You love him more than anything else. I want you to see this in verse 21 as we come to a close here. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus wasn't cold. He wasn't bothered or annoyed by this guy. He he wasn't short with him in his answer. Notice that the text says Jesus loved him. He looked at this man and he knows what he needs and his heart is burdened for him. He loves this man and he sees the, the genuineness in his question and he saw the state of his heart blackened by sin and Jesus loved him and he told him the truth precisely what he needed to hear. And it's, it's so sad. It may be one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible that this guy is so close, but he walks away. He asked the right question to the right person but he walks away. This is what he needed for eternal life. He's just unwilling to hear Jesus' answer, unwilling to acknowledge his sin. Wasn't cool with Jesus being number one. He was so ready and so close, but at the same time, he's just so far away. reminds us that it's not enough to want it. Everybody wants eternal life. If all you had to do was just, you know, pray once and ask Jesus to come into your heart, everybody would do that. You'd be a fool not to if that's all that it it took, but that's not the gospel. The gospel offers salvation for those who repent of their sin and confess Jesus as Lord. 
willing to joyfully submit to Christ and follow Christ with the rest of your days. Romans 10.9 says that. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's the lordship part that's much harder to do. That's why this man walks away from eternal life. He'd rather have his stuff. I believe he just didn't see how valuable eternal life really was. It's not just teenagers. It's everybody. We're so interested today. We're so focused on happiness, contentment. I think especially by the time you hit high school, you're already so much just consumed by what is it that's making me happy. You're obsessed with things that bring contentment and joy, so consumed with things that we don't ask questions like this one. We don't ask about eternal life. We ask about temporary things here and now. And and we're so similar to this rich young ruler. We probably don't have his money or, or his power. But I wonder how similar you are to him in other ways. He passes up eternity passes up eternity's great possessions because of his earthly stuff. And I want you to think about this, earthly stuff that's been dust now for thousands of years. The things that he traded eternity for have been dust for a long time. We walk away from this truth, we're just doing the same thing. If you ignore it, you're saying, I don't want eternal life either. I'd rather have me. I'd rather have my stuff that will one day be dust. There's contentment in the gospel, there's satisfaction in the gospel. There is joy in the gospel. It's incredible and it's real, but that's not what the gospel ultimately offers. It's a promise of eternal life. Confess your sin, submit to Jesus as Lord, receive this eternal, unending, real life, life that we were meant to have with our creator before sin messed everything up. Eternal life is life with God that never ends and it's perfect and it's awesome and it can be yours. How can I have eternal life? It's the right question. Now you know the answer. Joyfully submit your whole life to Jesus who loves you just like he loved this rich young ruler. Loves you enough to die for you. 
loves you enough to go to the cross to pay the price for your sin that you could not pay. He loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? It's the right question. Father, thank you for our time this morning. God, what a great passage for us to reflect on and think about. Lord, I can only ask that you would do your work of salvation in the lives of these teens. Help us to think right about eternity. Help us to see how valuable and what a treasure it is. How foolish we're being to to delay it, to excuse it, to dismiss it for the perishing things of this world. God, you are awesome and great, truly a God full of mercy and love and grace to give us your word and to help us see what we truly need. God, change hearts and be honored this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.